Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Kevin Lawrence. Kevin is a strategic CEO coach and a strategic advisor and author of Your Oxygen Mask First. Thank you for being on the show today, Kevin. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I was, I was talking to him just before we got started. It's like, I got some stuff I want to chat with you about. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's some hot topics in my world about you know helping how to identify how to identify great leaders. So uh, let's just start. Real, kind of, how did you get into the coaching space? What what inspired you to write a write a book? Let's kind of go over your origin mm-hmm. uh, path. Well, I mean, what inspired me, I kind of fell into the coaching space. You know, after a couple of years working in the ad industry, I started doing marketing consulting. I saw a big opportunity, particularly on the customer service and taking good care of the customers you had. And I did that for a while, but then I realized. Man, these ideas are easy. They're actually a dime a dozen. Getting the operators to implement them is the work. And I was like, okay, well, someone said there's this thing called coaching, and this is back in the 90s. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. It's like you help people to actually get the stuff done versus figure out the the strategy and what to do. Um, And I just kind of fell into it because I figured it would give me better results with my clients. In the coaching I first started doing, it was weekly calls, which was mostly about execution, troubleshoot, execute, troubleshoot, execute, troubleshoot. And that was um, what I found it was needed, especially for a lot of smaller businesses. They don't have execution rigor in a lot of cases. Let's, uh, nice. let's talk about, let's just kind of go right into you. You have a book out there called Your Oxygen, uh, Your Oxygen Mass First. And yep. I was looking at the, I have your chart up on the big screen way up there. So if you yep. seem to look it up, I'm glancing up. That's 17 Habits. Yep. Kind of tell me the premise of the book, what it's about. And let's let's kind of jump into how this relates to us in our world. Yeah. like first, first, just to back up a little bit, there's another book that I was a key driver behind called Scaling Up, which is about building companies. And it was a, you know, it's a methodology we use with clients. But the problem we saw is, we could figure out the strategy and the execution and the cash modeling to get the company to scale, which becomes fairly easy and paint by number after you do it a few times in a a few cycles. But then generally along the way, a lot of the leaders, CEOs, execs bonk, like they fall on their face. And, And so I've always been curious about how do you have sustained success and growth as the companies grow? And a lot of times, unfortunately, people sell because not that they want to sell, they don't believe they can get to the next level. So I've been fascinated in coaching CEOs now for 28 years, mostly CEOs and and, and a bunch of execs. Um, And the book was basically, how do you continue to grow as far as you wanna go and handle the big gut punches along the way when you get mentally cooked? 
And that was sort of, so it's the guide for scaling yourself because I just saw too much carnage. Like I still see a lot of carnage and most of it's fixable. Almost all of it's predictable. Uh, but only if you've been there a bunch of times and people were shocked at the situations they're in. And I'm like, well, of course you're there. And it's not that I'm, I'm the almighty intelligence. No, it's just there's very predictable patterns of things that happen to CEOs and execs in growing companies. Uh, but most of them have only done it once. So they don't know what they're coming up against. It's interesting is I know for myself, and I've experienced this, experienced this in, this, in the dot-com world where we were funded by VCs and stuff. And I've experienced this in my own business and stuff. Without, without guys like you, I'm, I'm going to put that out there because I think you could probably get pa people past there. It's usually a different person that can take a, a company, yes. boot, you know, shoe, you know sh shoestring budget, bootstrap it up, get it up and running. And then the different guy, you, you got to swap that CEO out, that you know, general manager out if you want to go for, you know, he gets it to a million dollars, he gets it profitable. And to go from a million dollars to, uh, you know, hopefully we don't lose power here. We had an earthquake here yesterday oh, and uh, the, the, flower, the power just... Twitch, so Look, a little flicker. Says, which, <laughs> I was like, man, I a was a warning uh, shot. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very, very small earthquake, but I've never been in the dead epicenter of an earthquake, and it's hugely different to be in the dead center of it. Like, I was standing in a, in a, in a mall yesterday in Santa Rosa, and a 4.5 or 4.4 hit, and the mall's on springs that's meant to flex. We were in the Apple store. I threw my six-year-old daughter underneath the table and, and cried. I'm 5'10 and 350 pounds on a, on a good day. Like I flew underneath that, that table with her and like curled under because stuff was flying off the shelves and everything in there. Wow. Right. And uh, yeah, so when the lights just flickered, I was like, I don't do that again. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good timing. We were talking about the, the, the difference between the, um, your scaling, oh, uh, the CEOs, right? Yes, and basically, and it's some people, the, the, the common theory is people can get you to a certain level, then you got to swap out the leader or the leadership to get to the next. And it's, it's not as true as people think it is because often they just haven't had the, the, the resources or the direction to improve the right capability on things. And so they don't know what they don't know. So basically, the, the way I look at it is it's like, if you know how to ride a bicycle, but then you jump into a car, you're going to have some issues. You go from a car and you master a car and then you go into an airplane, you're going to have some issues. And on, many of us in our careers go from skateboards to bicycles and bicycles to cars and cars to airplanes. But we wonder why we crashed the plane because no one freaking taught us how to fly it. And we right. didn't have enough seat time and enough practice. And it's not that everybody can do it, but most people get underdeveloped as they grow. And that's, and, and also because they don't know what they need to do. They just right. kind of work hard. So that's, I think there's an opportunity for more people to be able to grow as the companies grow. Uh, and I'm glad you, you said that because, you know, still my mindset is that, you know, without having somebody work with a guy like you, my mindset is, you know, when I'm looking at a company, where is it at now? Where am I trying to get it to? And who's the perfect fit that's done that a bunch of different times, right? And... I, I still I think with I still think my knee jerk reaction is if we if I decide okay I got to get this company to ten million and that guy got it there my natural instinct's gonna be okay well who who's out there that can get it from ten to twenty five right and I see I see this there's actually a there's a there, I don't I'm gonna 
I can't remember what it's called now. There's a psychological barrier inside of like salesmen see this a lot. When you're hiring a sales guy, one of the favorite questions you want to ask is what's the most you've ever made in your life? Because there's a certain sense of self-worth that people get to and they think that that's where they're at. This is what I'm good at. Yes. Right. And they'll write, you could take a sales guy and stick him in somewhere. If he's made 150,000 last year within 12 months, 18 months, he'll be, he'll be back there. He'll be back there. Right. Yep, 100%. But getting him, getting past that's going to require him getting past his own mental blocks, his own. I call self- it a thermos. It's the mental thermostat. If you think you're a salesperson and you should make half a million a year, by gosh, if you're committed, you're going to find a way. And if you're a salesperson that thinks that 75 is as good as you're going to be able to do, by gosh, you're going to, you're, you're right. Generally, because you don't seek out those things. And, you know, in a lot of the work that we do with leaders and, you know, chapter 17 in your oxygen mask first is called the master plan. It's thinking about, Hey, 10 years, what does spectacular look like in your work for yourself as a human being and, and, and the person that makes it all happen and in your life? Like that willingness to like really think, what what do I really, 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 really want? And yeah, it's 10 years down the road. You got time to get there. But, you know, and one of one of my clients on his list is he wants to buy a pro sports team, have his own jet, and, and he's well on his way. Like he's going to do it because he decided to do it. But unfortunately, and when people's thermostats low, that's hard. And you know, I was in a session yesterday with, um, we brought a president into one of the companies I'm working with and great guy. And we're chatting as we're going for a walk to dinner and we're just saying, you know, his favorite, what he loves, give me a 35-year-old executive, roughly, um, who is very driven and then rough around the edges. He goes, I'll work with that person any day, all day for sure, because they've got the internal drive, like their thermostat set high, the internal drive to do it. We just got to teach them skills and polish them. The opposite is when people don't have that kind of will, that's a different challenge. Now you're in a business trying to motivate people. That, 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 basically uh, you're trying to crank up the thermostat. That doesn't usually go so well. Motivation's fickle. I, I'm not a big fan of like, you know, the motivational type of things because it, it comes work. and goes, it ebbs and flows. And, and, uh, no. yeah, I think you can train skills. I think you can train, you can, you can, inst- you can, most people you can provide knowledge, resources, and skills to. Yep. But I don't think you, I don't know that fire is trainable like that, that internal fire, that drive no. um, to get to the next level. So I, I can see that. Yep. It, it's so basically in, in the book, it's just basically in working with all these different people. It's the 17 most popular conversations I have with CEOs and leaders to help them get from wherever they're stuck in whatever reason that they're stuck to this next level they want to get to, whether it's the enjoyment of what they're doing the results of what they're getting or how they're feeling personally or mentally. Um, it's just that it is basic stuff. But again, when you haven't been there before and, and it's almost like going to a new city, when you grew up in a city, you know, all the great spots and the bad spots and which way to go to minimize traffic. But when you're a tourist, you have no clue. And, and having that local guide makes it a little easier. So you said the word stuck a few times. I imagine a lot of people wait until they're stuck to come see somebody like you. Like, like they, 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 you know, they're gonna, <laughs> they're at the point where the board's gonna fire me if I don't fix this, yep. right? Or, or hey, my company's suffering and I, and I either have to replace myself or fix this. Yep. And uh, I've done it too. I've, uh, I've had a few companies where I had a real estate investment firm and I hired a, a, a performance coach because I was like, I couldn't tell myself if I was stuck and getting burned out or if. The story I had created was the industry had shifted on me a little bit and we were doing a very specific type of real estate investing. And I was like, it's just 
getting too complex, too legal, too, too much trouble. And uh, so I had to bring somebody else in that looked at it from a third party. Is that true that most people wait until they're stuck? And when should they come see you? When should, if I'm a CEO and I'm working along, when should I uh, seek out an advisor or a coach to, to help me get to the next level? You know, you go back to that thermostat. When you've got big goals or things you want to achieve, we're more likely to reach out for help. And it is true. I know quietly, although they don't always say it, when people reach out and contact our firm, well, we got, you know, there's 10 of us at different advisors working with growth companies. Generally, and you called it, it's their banker, their lawyer, their doctor, their spouse, their board, or their executive has read them the right act, or they've basically gone, what I'm doing isn't going to work and I need to get it together. They're basically staring some sort of death in the face before they get help. There's that's, that's a huge portion, particularly smaller entrepreneurs. The bigger ones, they're used to getting professional help all the time. And for them, it's more of I, either they have an issue or I want better performance. But the smaller ones, they're usually from the school of I can do this myself and I shouldn't need help. Where the bigger ones, they've already learned that lesson and they're always looking just for the best help they can get. Yeah, I can see that. A lot of entrepreneurs like this that start a business and, and I, you know, I do this myself still today. It's like, get out of my way. I'll just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause that's what's, cause that's what's got you where you were. That's like, people are, are successful doers and problem solvers and that's how they get to be the leader of the business or the owner of the business. But they often you know, over rely on that skill. So you're going to love this. One of the CEOs I work with, his name is uh, Brent Parent. Awesome CEO back in Ohio. Brent has this thing where he calls is the big circle and the little circle. The big circle is opportunities, selling stuff to new customers or existing customers. And the little circle is problems. And he says to his team, hey, you should be like spending at least 95% of your time on opportunities, 5% on problems. But hey, if you want help with your problems, just come to my office between 8 and 8.30 any day. 8 to 8.30 is problem time. He rolls in at 9. <laughs> Oh, uh, he wants now he's built a massive organization, you know, entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. The guy's awesome. But his basic premise is I'm not interested. I'm not interested at all because it's actually a, not a good use of my or your time. Just go sell something instead. Like yeah. problems are, are seductive and dangerous. And I even have a chapter in your oxygen mask first. It's called stop being chief problem solver. I see you that. Do not, yes. Yeah. It's like stop tie, you know, parents know not to tie their kids shoes when they're 14, right? It's like, but as executives, somehow we forget and we think that tying our kids shoes, which is the same as solving their problems for them uh, as a leader is effective. No, we're trying to build strong, independent leaders. Well, you do that by making them use their brain, not yours. It's interesting as I started treating some of my guys kind of like I do my six-year-old is like, I, I asked her to do something. I don't know how to do that. Like, okay, if you did know how to do it, what would be your first step? Exactly. You know, and then just walk, okay, what would you do next? And I just walk them through it. Like, it sounds like a good solution to me. Or, you know, uh, I have some virtual assistants and stuff to help out and they bring something to me. It's like, well, what did Google say when you asked it? Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that one. You That's know, a good like, one. Like, did you, you know, step one, Google it, look for a tutorial, you know, 
if you if you're unsure that that's what you want me to you know you want if, that, if you're unsure that's what you want I want you doing, then send me the tutorial and said is this, you want it done like this and I'll go nah tweak this you know, but as yeah. far as like just throwing things make over make them to me, do I'm, the cognitive work make them train them to think for themselves and find their own problem like we do with our children, yeah. right? It's it's but it's a, it's a dangerous trap and I love what you said is that you know you you realized you hired people that would bring you problems and. It's, I mean, it's a very, it's a very limiting thing for people because next thing you know, your day is all day, every day solving other people's jigsaw problems or jigsaw puzzles and you, it doesn't work. So there's another concept inside of your book and, and uh, this is, we're going to kind of segue this into elements that really help buy or sell a company. And one of the yep. things I see on there, number 10, you say, make yourself useless. Yep. Talk about that a little bit because I think that's critical if you're going to exit. For sure. And here's the philosophy that I have is, you know, if you're going to exit or, or if you're going to keep it, the strategy is actually the same. Make it so the damn thing runs so well that it doesn't need you. So that means if you exit, the buyer doesn't need you to stay on for a couple of years. And secondly, if you decide to keep it, the business doesn't need you 60 hours a week um, uh, to drive it. So the premise is is simple, but it's it's to build an incredibly strong team. And, and and the brutal truth is, almost every organization I go to has a very driven leader or CEO and a mediocre team of direct reports to that person. The team isn't good enough. And and so if we take it into you know from Canada, so a hockey example, it's like if you're building a hockey team. It's basically you post a bulletin at the community center or the rec center and whoever shows up gets to play and, <laughs> you, and, and, and you have some fun on the ice, but then you think you want to go to the Stanley cup. Well, you kind of need to change your recruitment strategy, probably how you practice. And it's, 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 it's a very different process to build an NHL hockey team. than we'll call the beer league rec center team. And unfortunately, a lot of companies have NHL um, uh, intentions or aspirations, and they got a beer league team. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. You can't create greatness with mediocre people, and they're not bad people. They might not be in the right position. They might not be suited. They might not be willing to work hard enough. They might need training and development. Maybe they need to work for the local government instead. Like, I, I don't know. But when we go into most companies, the team is so dependent on the leader and generally not nearly strong enough uh, to, to, to match the aspirations that the company has. We did that last year, actually. Um, and I learned an extremely valuable lesson, exactly what you said. Uh, acquisitions and mergers, we put together a team and we, were, we do these hangouts or these meetups where we're meeting with other acquisition and mergers guys. We came up with the idea in one of these rooms and we said, okay, who wants to work on the idea? And about eight people raised their hand and we took all of them, right? And unfortunately, these are rock stars, right? These guys are CEOs of their own companies. They've had exits and stuff. The problem mm -hmm. is we had so many chiefs, right? <laughs> that nobody want, you know, we had so many visionary and idea people. That, yep. Yep. And yep. nobody was a doer, right? So it was so hard to get things actually done or even to get like the C the all these eight of these guys were CEOs in their own right at other times in, in their lives to get them to commit to a date and time they were going to get something done was yeah. actually like pulling teeth. Yep. Like they just, it just did not work. So, you know, it wasn't, a, 
I wouldn't say you have to have absolute rock stars because that's not the only answer here. Because those guys were, I mean, I would work side by side with almost any one of them again. But uh, the the problem is, is the team has to be designed for the needs of the team, not just you can't just stick five CEOs in a room and say this is a company and expect good things all this to happen. Stuff. Yeah, it just doesn't work. So, so yeah, you, I mean, you got to have the right people for the job, and the way we look at it is they need to have. We operate a lot of stuff based on the methodologies that Jim Collins has found in his research and his books, Good to Great and Great by Choice and etc. And in it, we look at two things when it comes to people. Is, is, is core values fit? They are in sync with the values and the, you know, the mental operating system of the company and how they like to treat people and treat customers. That's one. Second is they got an amazing ability to get the job done. If you're a forward on the hockey team, you know how to skate fast around other players and put the top, the puck in the top right corner, you know, where a lot of goals are scored or top left corner. You're very capable skating, skating around people, puck in the corner. Um, and that's, you know, looking for those, that ability. So in companies, sometimes we get people who don't fit the values and they're just toxic or a nightmare. But usually the bigger problem is people who aren't highly capable in, in, in mastering that role that they're in. And so you, as a leader, have to step down and manage or, or do part of their work and be overly involved with what they're doing. And that just, that creates a lot of work and it slows the organization down. And I've seen this with companies I've owned. I've seen this with companies I've stepped into and, you know, managed. There's a reluctance to let people go sometimes. Like, hey, the guy's been, you yep. know, I was looking at a company and we had, a, there was a definite problem with one of the guys there. And like, well, his dad worked there. Like this is, you know, his dad worked there for 20 something years, retired. The son yep. got hired and they're yep. like, we're not going to fire him. I'm still, I still go play golf with his dad. Yep. And I like, this guy is a poison pill to your company. He's yep. negative, mad, you know, like <laughs> I just told, told him, so I'm looking at buying your company. You introduced me to him because, you know, he's, he's running a division of it or whatever. And as soon as you walked out the door, he's bad mouth. And, you, and you, when I say something to you, you knew it, you knew he was going to do that. I can promise you if I acquire this, he's not staying. <laughs> yep. But that's yeah. a common scenario is that we tolerate mediocre or inappropriate people, people that aren't excellent in their role for whatever. We, we tolerate it because of tension that it will create if we deal with it. And in my world, if you're an NHL company and you got a couple hundred million dollar budget every year for players and you know, your, 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 you know, your, your expenses to run the team and winning is important. Um, yeah, yeah, you might have a higher, um, standard people need to meet. And for some reason we think that we can achieve great things with low standards and it just doesn't work. And again, those, those people are challenging, but people don't want to deal with it. And you know, if there's one thing that I con and we have a, we have a tool that we use every 90 days with most of our clients to deal with this. So those people can't build up in the system. Uh, but if there's one thing I talk with CEOs a lot, it's exactly that. If there's one thing I make a note of action items to chase CEOs on, it's exactly that uh, of, of dealing with those people that shouldn't be on the team for whatever reason it is. It's, but it's common. And it just, that just means you would rather piss off the 50 people in the company, but take care of the one. And to me, that's ludicrous and that's undisciplined management, although it's incredibly common. 
it's interesting is there's the same effect as mediocre. There's some at the very high end too. So when I was in the tech world, I actually uh, was senior director of operations of a huge uh, portal, uh, website portal. Uh, yeah. Not really. Maybe, maybe still around. I don't think I haven't checked in a while, but it was head to head with Yahoo in the day. Okay. And we had some Oracle DBAs there were absolute prima donnas. And, but the problem is they're absolute rock stars. I mean, we had a couple of the Oracle DBAs where Oracle would like call over and ask if they could have some time of their time to bring them back to Oracle to fix things, right? They were that caliber of people. They made more money. I was a senior director of operations and they got paid more than I did. Yep. Right. There is some element, they were rude, obnoxious, a little bit of a poison pill to the environment and culture of the company, but it would take most of my other you know, Oracle engineers five to six times as, as long to fix yep. the major problems as these guys. So you tolerate it. Exactly. And those ones, we call those toxic A players, yeah. or you could come up with another word for what A stands for, <laughs> but, but they're, they're toxic jerks, but they're yeah. high performing, like they're high performing jerks. And that's why they stay in businesses, but you cannot build a great company with a bunch of those people because they undermine so much of what it is. And, and truly, you know, your culture of your company is not what you say it is. It's the lowest common denominator you'll allow to stay. Yeah. And when you allow them to stay, you are endorsing and affirming that that's okay in our culture. Yeah. And imagine if you had a room, if you had 10 of them, how would you feel and how would the company feel? You know, it, it was to the point where at some point the, the, the individual actually had his own, like, you know, the directors had glass offices and the seat, you know, in, at the corners of the walls and everybody else was in cubicles. We stuck him in one of those in the far corner. He was, he, you know, pay wise, he, made more money than I did. So it made sense. But uh, yeah, there's some times where, you know, I was really fired up to get rid of the guy. And I was just like, everybody said, no, no, don't do that. And I, I, I understand why, but I don't, uh, I, I, I don't, I actually have no tolerance for those people. If you're trying to build a great company and have a culture where people feel safe and can do their work and don't have to deal with people like that. Um, I, we find those com people in companies, we give them chances to step up. Like my, our intent is, Getting those, any person who doesn't match expectations, they're giving clear communication, opportunities, development, support, whatever is needed to step up to expectation. And again, in my world, you need to be an A fit on culture and an A fit on performance. Um, and But it's so clear and it's been laid out so well to them. If they don't step out, they've basically, whether they want to admit it or not, fired themselves. And where it's, where it's a crime is when they haven't been given feedback and chances to do it. And next thing you know, they're surprised. Now, they always act surprised no matter what. Let's be clear. But the, the, the manager has done the best they can to lay out expectations, what's okay, what's not okay, and what they need to do to keep their job. Uh, and they're giving a chance at least to, 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 to fix themselves. It's interesting. When I first got there, there was a whole thing where like, you know, the guy would go off the wall, you know, Explode, you know, just cursing and throwing a fit. Go back, he'd go back and fix something. Come back, tell nobody to touch it. And then, then you know, the other managers would be just laughing. They're like, "This isn't funny. Why are you guys laughing? That is not okay behavior." And it's like, "Oh, that's just him. That's just." I'm not going to say his name because he might have changed since then. Yeah, let's but, not. Let's know, not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he's like, "Oh, that's just him." And you know, I say that almost every company I've ever been with, especially tech company, Lockheed Martin, we had one there, right? 
you know, I remember sending a Lockheed Martin straight out of the Air Force, you know, into a t- you know straight out of the Air Force intelligence, straight into my first engineering job in a room. And by the third or fourth month there, I would sit over and watch this other engineer in the room because, like, when I say when I see somebody do some stupid stuff in code, I was a software test engineer. I would like read yep. code and look for uh, security flaws and stuff. But uh, they uh, anyway, we'd be sticking stacks of thousands of lines of code and reading it was a really boring job but it, <laughs> i learned some stuff but anyway we'd be i'd watch him i see something really bad inside of code i would just sit there and watch this other engineer because i knew at some point he was a stand up throw a fit start writing all over the board like recode everything from scratch on the board and just like stomp out of the room right and it was just like okay this is the one that does it right this is you know you know and we and it was tolerated it was actually you know that guy you know yes he, he was probably one of the older guys engineers wise that was there and uh yeah and that's was, so we have a, a company where we had someone like that that been in a company a long time had been given many opportunities to step up but it was getting in the way of the team the rest of the team could not work with this individual uh the team wasn't able to move ahead long story short six months later at least six nine months now the team's performance is through the roof uh, people are happier. There's no drama left in a company. Like it makes a notable difference, particularly in small to medium sized companies. It's the other thing is to a certain degree, they're not happy either because although they're creating the friction, they generally feel the friction. So they, right. they generally have a lot of frustration and the best thing we can do is to find a way for them to gracefully exit if at all possible and go find an environment that they will be, um, better suited i guess i would say <laughs> like there's no such thing as a, a as a bad employee there's just a employees that would be better flipping burgers instead of being in my office <laughs> I, well yeah or just a bit literally like you know everyone's got a place where they're a fit every right. place i was there i was joking cult- but yeah i know i know yeah. but there are there are like culture is a big deal in yeah. some companies it's normal to yell and scream and 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 do that there's some very aggressive cultures in some companies and right. so it's about finding the place where your natural operating system is. Like, for example, I am a very aggressive person. I push hard for results um, and I like to move quickly. Hence, almost all my conversations are with entrepreneurs and CEOs because that's their operating system is closer matched to mine. If I'm working with a frontline employee, it's not a values issue. It's just I need to back myself down like I can need to, you know, 50%. I need to chill out if mm-hmm. I'm going to work with frontline because I'm just too much for them. But in a boardroom with an executive team of a growing company, I can just let it rip. So let's let's switch gears back to the acquisitions. Let's do it. Let's do a, one of my favorite things to do is a story time. So sure. tell us tell us about somebody that I don't know, maybe struggling or whatever, like kind of into success stories. Like what's your favorite that, you know, I worked with this guy, we got him from X design. Now he's got an airplane kind of stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, what day of the week is it? <laughs> One of my clients is just uh, in the middle of an exit. Now it's getting announced this week, but you know, it's a, it's a company that, you know, we built um, dramatically, like probably over a decade I'm being careful because it's just getting announced and, but, but don't any names in, I won't, I won't, but generally we more than 10 X the business over the last decade. Um, and we 20 was doing math in my head, 20 X the EBITDA. Wow. Yep. 
because it was the performance was mediocre and, and and the CEO was less concerned about profitability and more concerned about building a great company. So 10x revenue, 20x EBITDA, now a massive exit. Um and 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 uh, to private equity and and the whole team's going to stay on and go for the next run. And 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 going to take the capital from private equity partner to continue to accelerate the business and 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 do more good through you know with the impact they want to have on on people um and continue to build it to the next level and you know going from privately held to private equity you know it takes up um um it takes it's a higher level game it's like going from college football or sorry from high school football to college football like they got to up their ante so i'm excited for all of them and it was just a you know I've had lots of companies with very notable exits, you know, a number and over the billion range and um, lots in between. Um, it's exciting, though, when you see that you get to build something and at some point you saw that a chunk off to somebody else and, you know, the people that have shares in the company get a nice payday and then you get to continue to go to the next level as well with, with uh, more capital or more access to capital. So you've actually had coaching clients who exited at the billion dollar valuation or more? Awesome. That's a, yep. that's a, that's a earmark. I'd like to see one of these days, right? That's, that's a, there's a lot of people yeah. don't understand. Like if you're just an average guy out there, you probably don't really get the true concept, the difference between a million and a billion, right? It, it is it's a lot. It, it is crazy difference. I think anybody can go out and create, you know, a million dollar company. It and something that can sell. No, just for to be fair, not anybody. Lots of people could. It's yeah. still, there's still most people couldn't. Even that, just to be fair to the people that do it, like it's to people like you and I, it seems easy, but 90 something percent of the population would never do it. Well, statistics show that most people that start one, like I think one one in 2000 or something crazy. Like I I keep using that number. I have to better because I I keep using the number. I better go check, double check. Yeah, verify. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to get to a level of significance, right, to start a company and get to a million dollars in revenue uh, uh, and over, it's somewhere in that, you know. A thousand, two thousand companies fell before yeah. you ever it ever gets there. So I don't want I to undermine. So. I don't want to undermine, you know, the concept. I'm saying, if you bring in the right people into it, it's achievable. But there's a lot more elements that have to kick in and become part of what you're doing. Uh, market fit, market size, all these different things to hit that billion dollar mark. All right. Um, and and you also need generally a little more time. Sometimes yeah. you need more capital. But you got to make a lot of right decisions. You got to have big customer needs that you're satisfying, right? And if you're making, I'm just looking at a piece of rope. If you're making custom colored rope for people that like to decorate their bicycles, like it ain't going to happen because the market's not big enough. Right. You know what I mean? I'm picking just a niche of a niche of a niche. It's a silly example. Well, you think about it. Somebody made a million plus selling pet rocks, but you've never heard of a Correct. billionaire a billionaire selling pet rocks, right? There's they've got no. an enterprise and and a broad and there needs business. to be generally some sort of ongoing annuity type business in most cases mm-hmm. to get to that kind of. And true, this whether whether you exit for you know fifty million or a hundred million or a billion, I mean, it's just at some point it's it's just it's at that level, people, it's less about the money. And more about building something great, yeah. And 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 that's what I see because that's you know the thing about exits that I find very interesting. For some people, they are thrilled to exit and then go do something else. 
yeah. uh, or or retire or whatever it happens to be. You know, take a different career. And there's other people in the exit. They get they get antsy and then they want to go do it again because it generally, once you make a certain amount of money, it's more about the excitement and the thrill and the challenge of building something awesome. Yeah. I have a friend who uh, he actually did recently, and you know, I was talking to him, last time I was talking to him, I was like, he started another project and three, four months ago, like, this isn't going to work. So he's looking for something else to do. And he's just, you can see that he's, he's kind of at the spot. It's like, what the heck am I going to do right now? Because, you know, he even said, I, I might take a double two, uh, a job for the first time ever. This guy's never had a job since he, yeah. maybe when he was a teenager, he's been an entrepreneur, a CEO, sold his company, made, you know, made his million. And, you know, he's tried a couple other startup ideas and now he's like, maybe I go work for private equity or maybe I go work, <laughs> you know? Yes. So well, because 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 you take the money out as the variable, and it's more about doing it because you enjoy it. You know, we've we've got a number of people that you know become coaches or advisors, or or they might go you know be a you know hired CEO or president. The the key of it is is you know, is knowing what you want out of it, and and my belief the growth is the path, and the exits are wonderful because you get paid and a sense of accomplishment. But generally, people like to keep going. And a lot of the people I work with, um, they love it when people want to exit because they get to buy those businesses and build them. But a lot of people just want to keep going and building and building and building because it's the it's the challenge. It's the it's yeah. the challenge, the thrill of what they're doing. There's one topic I don't want to miss before we go off here just because sure. it's, it's key to a lot of us is you've coached a lot of CEOs, business leaders and stuff. If you are in our shoes and you're looking to hire a great general manager or CEO, a company that you've <laughs> recently re acquired, what would you look for? What are some of the key elements that yeah. would. This is, this is what I spend a majority of my time on these days. Uh, and probably last. And, and, and so as one of my clients, I was talking to um, in the middle East last night, um, you know, and talking about assessing of, people that we're hiring, whether it's executives or presidents, whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, we have a very thorough process that we use. And the truth of it is, it's no different than if I was going to hire uh, an amazing goalie for a hockey team. I'm looking at their track record. I'm looking at their psychological makeup. I'm looking at how they performed. And the thing about human beings is, whether you like it or not, we're insanely predictable. Past patterns can almost always predict the next 10 or 20 years of a person's life. And I know people don't like that, but it's true. So in this methodology that we use, we get crystal clear on what we want to hire, i.e. we use a methodology called top grading as a, as a baseline. But we almost, instead of getting a kid to draw a picture of the building we want to be build and say, oh, we need a general manager. We get an engineer's drawing of that general manager, what they're going to do, what they need to be good at, what skills and competencies they need to have. And we generally come up with a four-page, very mathematical um, job description or engineer spec for the job. And then when we interview them, we have a process where if I was interviewing you, we'd go back and we would start when you're 18 or 19 years old. And I would, if it was you I was considering for the job, I would interview We have a process that we use. We would um, go probably four hours from high school through to your most recent jobs and excavating massive amount of data to start to build patterns and to see how well the patterns and capabilities that you have, how well it matches, man, uh, matches that entrepreneur spec. So I call it like the forensic audit 
to com compare you to the entrepreneur's um, spec. And then, and then finally, we'd go back and validate this by talking to three or four or five of your managers in the last 10 or 15 years. And not your friends, not your aunt Flo who's on your reference list, but <laughs> the people you actually re reported to, who by the way, we learned about them in the process. So we would generally, and we do this for, for some companies when they're doing acquisitions, we go in and pre-check who the talent is and who the non-talented people are so we know who to focus on. But we have a very thorough process because we're involved all the time in hiring presidents, execs, VPs, um, because those are big decisions. So we have a very thorough process. But at the end of the day, you got to be crystal clear on what you want and what that job entails and what it doesn't. Because all general managers or all heads of sales jobs are dramatically different. There's not one version. And then making sure the person already can demonstrate the skills required. It's interesting. You said that you uh, like the guys on your referral list. Um, back when I joined the military, I actually I was military intelligence, which means I had to get these huge top secret clearances. Their background mm. checks, right? Where yep. they you give them a list of people, like they, they ask you everything you've done back to like yep. you know teenage years, like the early yes. teens, right? Yep. Everything, and they're looking for stuff you'd hide. And then like, who did you run with? Who did you hang out with? They went and visited those people. They went to my little town of Kellyville, Oklahoma, population seven hundred, and knocked on people's doors. And they didn't. The people put in the list, they didn't really interview. They were like, "Who else did you run around with?" Right? And they got different names, and they went Correct. and interviewed those guys. Right? They they went That's... and looked for. They interviewed some people that actually hated my freaking guts in high school. <laughs> I because that's where you're gonna get the dirt. Yeah, and it was interesting that they did it. You know, it's like okay, I give them X, Y, Z. I give Joe, Sally, and so you know, the only thing they ask Joe and Sally is who else did you run with? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, because they're yeah. triangulating all around you to try and confirm patterns. They're just looking for patterns, and yeah. and our process is closer to that. And again, most people when they hire someone have about a twenty five percent hit rate. That's for someone who is an A grade on culture and on delivering results. You know, with this methodology, we get like 90% hit rate. It's not perfect, but it's damn, damn good. And it's at least three times as good as most processes. And we don't believe in just like, oh, let's do it on a hope and a prayer. You know, we, we really need to make sure that these people are awesome and suited for the role. And when you provide that extra scrutiny, you make better decisions. You have more data, more data to compare to. Versus a gut feeling, and I like the person, and they're a good storyteller. It's interesting. Is uh, I like your concept. One of the things I looked at trying uh, in, in some of the other roles, especially sales roles, is um, I think it's Perry Marshall. I think is the name of the guy that wrote the, uh, the one of the eighty twenty books. It's not the eighty you know eighty twenty principle, but yeah. he's got a different play on the eighty twenty principle. And one of the things he does is when he goes to hire sales engineers, he hires ten. And tells them, okay, and, he, and he, it's not like a tryout. There's not, uh, he hires them. They got his month's worth of salary or 60 days worth of salary. Yep. He says, okay, at the end of 60 days, I'm only keeping two of you, right? Here's the goals. Here's the objectives. Here's what you need to get done. Here, here's your training. At the end, you got 60 days from training, and he, and he, he does an 80 20 on, on, on the hires. And I, that is, can get expensive, but you end up with just, just keeping the rock stars. Well, because because you know two of the ten are going to be awesome. It, it just but you got to get people to sign up for that. And in this kind yeah. of a market that we've been in, I don't know that people are. Mm -hmm. But the s the intent is good. Um, 
Yeah, and that might and, and uh, like because at the end you're keeping the best two out of the ten, which I like. It's just you know when you're doing that with with CEOs and execs and that kind of stuff, you can't. I don't. I say it doesn't scale to the other roles. I don't. Think. Nope. Yeah. No, but but in general, in some companies, that's what they do with salespeople. Yeah. They hire twenty new salespeople every spring, and in the end, five stick. Right. I thought about doing. It. I'm getting ready to hire a content writer for some of the stuff I do, and I'm like, I'm going to probably hire, like, offer you know, two months worth of work for ten guys, and then pick the two people that are rock stars and keep them. Right. And if you can do that on a contract basis, it's not bad. Yeah. What we would recommend is, you know, get clearer on what you need. Try and understand them and what they are. Cause it's more for a content writer. You can get them to write some content and see the quality of their work. Mm -hmm. That's not where your problem is going to be. It's easy to assess work quality. It's harder to assess. Are they good to work with? Right. And that's, that's, and if you're looking at go, if you go back to a general manager, there's so many things a general manager has to be good at. Uh, and that's why I would suggest. So this guy I was talking to in, in the middle East last night. I'm like, look, next time you go to hire an executive, we'll spend, an extra 10, 20, 30 grand on assessment. So we know what we're getting and we'll assess a bunch of people, but we will make sure that the person is an A fit for culture and an A, a high likelihood of being an A on performance. But we'll just put more energy up front versus putting the energy in the back end when it doesn't work and you have to replace them. Do you guys have proprietary assessment tools or do you guys use like Cliff and Strings and Disk Profiles and that? We, we, type use, of stuff? we use Disk and Enneagram. Those are just understanding a person's wiring, but just mm -hmm. because the, you know, if someone has a disc profile that mean that, that, you know, it could be consistent with the role. It does not mean that they'll be good. Right. So if someone has the wrong disc profile, it could mean most likely they won't do well, but that's, it, it, it's a influence in the decision. We use this top grading methodology thoroughly. And like right now we're assessing, I think about 30 different executives in one company because we're helping them to replace four execs and the CEO in a five-year time horizon. So we have a very robust, unbiased assessment process that we're doing uh, to help them make those decisions. It's a combination of this top grading methodology and 360 reviews from, because a lot of them are in the company. Um, and then all of it, we convert into development, whether they don't, whether they get the job or not, we convert it into a development plan to help them grow towards their goals anyways. So I work we, but that we we rely heavily on the framework that methodology and have put some of our own touches on it but it's it's the best discipline we have found. I worked for a company for a while there that actually had this thing where uh, the quarterly reviews and then every 6 months they basically insisted I was a director level at the company you were directed that you had to lay off 5% of your your, your lowest 5% of performance like they're gone. So you took everybody's performance review and uh, if there was some exclusions if you had really small teams and like nobody, like nobody had a performance evaluation, but for the majority of people, like, you know, if you had, I think I had 90 employees at this company at the time, you know, I had to lay off three to four employees minimum by my, like, you know, because that was the lowest performing in the group. And, you know, it was a good market then. Like we were paying, I mean, we're still paying bonuses, but it was, it took about 45 days to hire somebody on at most. You, you were getting you were getting good employees. There were still people moving around. I think right now it's a little tougher. People are having a harder time filling certain roles and stuff. Uh, what is your thought process on uh, that? You think that everybody's coachable? You think that uh, you know, no. there is time just to, to cut the low performance out? Well, there is, but we and we, again we have a we have a, a a tool that we use to go through and assess people. Very simple, where we ask a bunch of different questions. 
mm-hmm. coachable people are coachable. And when you give them the coaching, they make progress. So every, everyone has the potential to grow. Many of them may not embrace it. So yeah. when we're deciding whether we can, our belief is every 90 days, let's just say I report to you. You need to have a plan of what you're going to do to help either improve my performance or sustain it if it's already awesome. Most managers don't do it. Most yeah. managers are so busy working, they don't take the time to focus on developing or, or, or enhancing their team members. So if I was an underperformer on your team, I'd want you to lay out the two or three things I needed to do to be able to get to a high performance level. And make sure it's clear and tangible. And sometimes you got to partner with your HR person to make sure it's done properly. But, you know, if a couple quarters in a row you're giving me feedback of what I need to do and I'm making zero progress, well, then the decision's pretty simple. But because, and the, the discipline we drive in companies, that's so what we did this yesterday. For two days, we had a strat planning with one of our clients here in Vancouver. And we worked on strategy and execution. And then we spent about three hours going through all the key leaders in the company assessing current performance versus expectation ability for them to continue to learn and grow what their next role or succession would be and two or three points of how we're going to help them perform better in the next 90 days we're going to do this every 90 days and that team will get stronger and stronger and stronger and people will trend up or in many cases opt out or in worst case scenario have to be asked to go find a job somewhere else you know i had a I had somebody that worked for me for a while there, and I really, I really liked her as a human being. She's a great person, and um, so one day I pulled. She was just wasn't performing in her current job, and uh, it was a simple job like doing backups and doing some low level tech stuff. And I pulled aside and I said, "Hey, you know, performance, you know, reviews are, you know, are, are bad. <laughs> you know, it's clear to me that you don't like your job." She goes, "I hate my job." I was like, "Okay." What is it you want to do? Because I've been taking classes for two years right, to write code. I know how to do this and this. I want, I want to be an engineer. I want to write code. I was like, well, we, we have like five or six spots open for junior engineers. I said, let me go talk to them. That's not my, my department. I run computers. You know, I run the nerds, the, the computer nerds, the guy fixing the computers out of the data centers. Said, let me go see over and see if he give you a shot. You know, And I said, we're caught up in your work. You're, you, know, just, you can still do You can just take care of the backups. She, she was doing the backups ups and i'll pay you for the next for the first 30 days if he'll give you a shot right i'll, I'll keep billion in my awesome. department because all i really need you to do right now my other guys can do some of the other stuff all i need you to do is to you know, make sure the back so you know that just took a couple hours you know quite frankly she's changing tapes out because it was still tapes back then and um so a couple hours a week that she thought she one of their within six months she was a mid-level uh software and within a year to two years she was one of their like top guys that had two people working with her she loved it and that was the big difference is it's like hey stopped and said what is it you really want to do exactly which goes back to which goes back to their thermostat or the thermometer what is it in their mind that they they're moving towards which which is their place they feel that they should be it's what they want and then when when they have that that's that desire and will you can work with that all day Then you got to help them get there. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. For somebody that hated her job, she showed up every day on time. She showed up to every meeting on time or early. She showed up. She just you could just tell she could just tell she was miserable. Like she, yeah. you know, they did that. They, they're calling. There's a name for it these days. That quiet quitting, like barely yeah, doing what you that. need to do to keep your job. 
that's what she was up to at the time. She just res- resigned that she was going to finish school and get a job somewhere else because yeah. you know that's what she wanted to do something else. And that's and, that's not good because one, they're not happy, and you're not going to you're not going to get your best out of them. And that's where proactively, if you can see that, how do you address it? How do you change the role or change the projects to have them, you know, basically to have them be more engaged and then be more productive for the company too? Just do one more thing real quick. I've asked sure. you a bunch of questions. What should I have asked? What have I missed? I think what is the most important thing to do with your high-performing employees? That would be... Let's go there. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we get sucked into problems all the time. You don't grow a business by focusing on problems all the time. And where people mess up is with their highest performing, most valuable employees. How do we keep them engaged and ideally spend more time with them? Because that's where your biggest return is. The awesome people, again, in hockey, it's your top players that score goals or prevent goals. They, they, They have an outsized impact on performance. So... You know, how, how do you keep them engaged? And the main premise is don't get distracted by your underperformers. Give them chances. Let them step up or let them leave. Try and have your energy going to the to the to the ones who are creating the most value. Got it. Got it. So how do people reach out to you? Like, you know, what's um, and if I, my favorite questions always ask if is there what what can myself or the audience do to help you move your game forward what 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 can we do for you to 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 help you achieve your goals yeah i think like for me i'm looking i'm always wanting to speak to groups of ceos and executives that's fun for me i got a couple of keynotes coming up next week and i'm you know now they're firing up again i just love speaking and sharing i've learned an incredible amount about scaling companies um and about scaling ourselves as 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 leaders, so that's you know that's it. I mean, and we have a team of people who are here to help dial in strategy and execution and people and culture and performance and cash. You know, we've got a, a small team that does it, but you know, for me, speaking to groups is what I love, and that's why you know chatting with you about this stuff. It's fun. I love yeah. talking about this stuff because I feel I have a gift to share from everything I've been ama- able to learn from all these amazing entrepreneurs around the world. Awesome. It's the best way to, to contact yeah. you. Our firm is Lawrence and Co., which is my last name, Lawrence, but lawrenceandco.com, lawrenceandco.com. We've got a great newsletter that comes out every week. We've got a podcast called The Growth Whisperers, where we talk about different aspects of growing companies every week. Um, lots of resources, but yeah, you can find us there. And there's, you know, we, we share the best things we can with the time that we have to share it. So I'll make sure all those get in the notes. It's always, uh, uh, I love sharing other people's podcasts. You know, so I'm a big Blue Ocean guy. There are plenty of people on the planet that listen to both of our stuff and do our things. Exactly. And work with us. So uh, I'll make sure that gets in the show notes for everybody. So uh, you, you guys look for that in there. And um, is there any, if, if, I guess the last thing I always like to do before, because uh, we wrap up, is if if somebody can only remember like two or three things from this whole conversation, what do you want them to away and remember Kevin by what it, what would you want them to remember from this mm-hmm. well the first thing in oxygen focus on yourself and your growth what do you need to do to grow stronger and be more resilient on a regular basis Two, build a team build your version of an NHL team that's so damn strong you don't have to deal a lot of daily management you can focus on taking the company ahead those would be the two main things that I would think that are critical cool and if you guys get a chance get his books uh the uh oxygen mask for um and what was the other one scaling scaling up, up. scaling up is the yeah, business so, one yeah 
get those and um, you know take a take a read through those and you know get started there. I appreciate your time today. Is there anything else you want to add before you uh, call no. it a show? No, thank you for doing this. Thanks. It's fun chatting. We had a great pre-show discussion and you know about a month or so ago, and this is great chatting about this stuff. Um, awesome. Your business is fun. All right, and that's the show, guys. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in napoleon hill's famous book think and grow rich with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.